Welcome to Mortals, a podcast where we explore how humans have dealt with death throughout history. From embalming and epitaphs to mourning and morgues, we are taking a look at rites, rituals, and practices from around the world. Mortals podcast is for the morbidly curious or the curiously morbid. This week, we are talking about what remains of Edith Finch. Please be advised, this episode contains mentions of suicide, mental illness, substance abuse, familial death, particularly that of an infant, murder, and of course, death. Now, let's get on with the show! Welcome, mortals, to another episode. We have a, uh, a special guest with us today, because originally there was going to be no episode this week, so that Janine and myself could take a little bit of a break, as right now, with just the two of us running the show, it's a little bit more work on the research, recording, and editing end, and also uh, Janine recently had the plague. <laughs> ah! If I sound a little <laughs> froggy, apologies, I just had COVID for a week and a half, so... Yeah, I mean, but you sound really good for having the play, so... Thank you. Yeah, and so as you can hear, our good friend Allie from the Talking to Friends About Death episodes has uh, stepped up to the plate to lead an episode. So, <laughs> this is an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, so welcome back to Mortals. <laughs> oh, hi, thank you for having me. What are you, uh, what are you sharing with us? I mean, we all know, but tell the listeners. What are we, we all know. today? Um, we are talking about... A video game called What Remains of Edith Finch that, ironically, I hadn't told Janine what the topic was going to be yet. And then you were all of a sudden like, I bought this game. And I was like, cool, you might want to play it by next week. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will spoiler this to the well, ninth degree. I bought it a while. I put like 100 bucks on the Nintendo Switch eShop. And I was like, let me see if I can get some of the games that have been on my wish list for a while. And that one was on my with my wish list since I played I Am Dead way back in like December, January. So it's just been sitting there waiting for me to purchase it. And I was like, I have a hundred bucks to throw on there. So I got it and I played it. I mean, it's a great game. I played it. That's a good question. I don't know what time is anymore. Time is a Jeremy <laughs> Baramy of things. And I permanently live in the dot over the eye. Um, <laughs> What's that even mean? <laughs> it's a good place reference. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the, time, the, the dot over the eye is like anomaly of time that no one can really account for. Okay, in which case, yeah, that is where, where the rest of us also live. Or at least in my case. I don't know what day of the week it is anymore. Days? Weeks? Months? Years? What is... What is time? And so uh, I very quickly was like, you need to, you need to play this by next week. To which Mariah, who's very busy, I also sent, I sent them a link being like, hey, you need to watch this. To which like maybe 11 minutes before we started meeting up for this, they messaged me being like, I did it. I did the thing. I was like, ah, oh, thank God I don't have to change my script within 10 minutes. Under <laughs> the wire. Yeah, it has been a very, uh, very, very busy couple of weeks in my life. Just recently, lots of family, lots of work, lots of other obligations. And uh, the nice thing about sitting down to watch it is that I actually got to sit down for more than an hour. But we got to work on that. 
So um, I know I said we're going to talk about what remains of Edith Finch, but I'm going to start this off with a, a weird non sequitur that actually leads into this. Ooh. What is your guys' favorite fictional curse? Now, I've put you on the spot, so I figured I'd answer first to okay. give you, like, some inspiration. Inspire me. Howl's Moving Castle, either Sophie's Curse or, or Turniped, who oh is good boy. Oh, Hmm? My brain is just a blank of like fictional <laughs> curses. I mean, I know you could go with there. real ones, but like, I feel like they're not as potent. I don't know if it counts as a curse, but the memory loss effect in The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa. I would count that. Which, for those who have not read The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa, one, read it, it's some real cutting cultural criticism, but it takes place in a very small island town in which. Uh, things just kind of get deleted from memory. Like, everybody wakes up and is like, we must get rid of all instances of the color purple, thimbles, just random things. And it, it, it progressively gets worse throughout the book. And there are a couple of people for whom this does not take hold, and they must hide it. But it's really hard to hide the fact that you are still aware of the concept of the color purple. Um, I was gonna say, what thimbles ever do to you guys? <laughs> Right? But that's the sort of thing, is that things just kind of get deleted from public memory, and the kind of knock-on effects of that cultural and complete forgetting. So, I, yeah, I think I'm gonna go with that. But Howl's is a very good one. I mean, I, I definitely offered to go first so that I could steal it. Fair. <laughs> so, I don't know about favorite fictional curse, but one of the ones that I find most interesting uh, I haven't watched this series in a long, long time, and I'm hopeful that one day we'll be able to incorporate a little more in-depth discussion about it into, like, a medley of sorts. But um, from Inuyasha, Moroku's hand thing, the black hole in his hand. <laughs> that, was gonna be, that was going to be one of my options. And then I was like, Howl's <laughs> Moving Castle is a lot easier to explain as the first, because I knew I was going to be going first. I had to give you guys time to think. It wasn't fair of me to yeah. like not go first. So if I was just like, oh yes, Inuyasha, let me just get into this. I was like, mm. <laughs> It's been a long time since I've watched the series through, but I, it's I, on my list of things to do again. The other one that is really good from that is actually the Sit Boy Curse. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. The the command that she can give him is technically a curse. Oh my god, the curse from Fruits Basket. All the anime curses. <laughs> All the anime it's curses. Anime is really good for curses. Or anime is just cursed. That too, I guess. Food for thought. Hot takes here on mortals. <laughs> I come here to say terrible things and then leave. <laughs> does uh, does Sat Sailor Saturn being like the destruction, does that count as a curse? No. I <laughs> All right, so getting us back on topic. <laughs> the reason I ask about fictional curses is the game that we are talking about today, What Remains of Edith Finch, is all about a family that is cursed to die in unexpected times and ways. Isn't the curse that only one member of each generation lives? The idea is that I Until believe. Until there's a new generation? <laughs> Exactly. The the, the yeah. curse needs to be passed down. So we play as Edith Finch, the last surviving member of the Finch name currently, who returns to the family home and graveyard to kind of document the lives of her ancestors for a particular reason, which we will get to later because that is heavy spoilers. Yes, which, this whole episode's going to be spoilers, as <laughs> are any of our media-based episodes are. You can't fully go into and discuss a thing 
on a death podcast without it being all spoilers. This is, like, the most spoilers, though, because everything about this game is, let me tell you the story of how everyone dies. Yeah, exactly. If you're listening to this, you're basically... I mean, you can play the game, but you're going to know the story. Would recommend you still play the game, or what I did to Mariah, find the hour and 35 minute uh, YouTube link, and it's just a really chill, just sit back, relax, and watch this kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. It's like a movie. Like a movie. Um, I'm going to just give some background information about the game. This was a game that originally came out in 2017 by Giant Sparrow which is a small developer that actually works with uh, Annapurna Interactive, which you guys should recognize as the people that did I Am Dead, but more recently did this game called Stray, where you get to play as a cat. Oh, they did that game? Yeah, that's them. They're cornering the market on death games. They're cornering the market on, like, very good games. It's freaky. What Remains of Edith Finch won BAFTA Game of the Year when it came out. And then just kept getting, like, different releases. So, like, Switch came out in 2019, and then iOS came out, like, last year. I can only imagine that this thing demolishes your phone, though. Yeah, probably quite large. Exactly. So, this is, well, it's a first-person exploration game, and I've already told you what it's about. So, uh, Janine, the person who played it most recently. What'd you think? It was hard to put down. Like, I just, I just wanted to keep going. Uh, like the transitions between stories wasn't, I want to, I don't want to say seamless, but it's like, you're just exploring a house, man. I want to see more of this weird, wacky house. Cause it's like seven stories or something like that. I don't even know. I didn't count them. It's like very tall, built on top of itself. Really it's cool. Howl's moving castle with the way that things are just kind of like slapped onto it. It is like. A house that has been built up and out to accommodate this ever-growing family that ends up feeling really empty. Yeah, and because the thing is that when someone dies, they seal up the room. Well, that's that's mm, that's an Edie thing. Like specifically, the, the, that was the grandmother who was like, "I don't like fully believe in this curse," and like, "I we're not going to talk about it. Shut everything down." That worked really well for you. Looking at you, Walter. Mm. Yeah, so the, the game was really good. Um, like I said, I had a hard time putting it down. I just wanted to keep going and get through it. And I was like, oh, how is this next person going to die? Because <laughs> like when we played the uh, the Ten Candles game, you know, this is the story about how these people died. So you know the outcome is just about the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you think, Mariah? Because you didn't get to play it, but you did get to watch it. I did get to watch it. And I, I'm guilty of, so today I wasn't sure if I was actually going to have time to watch it, as, like I've said, I've had, like, two hours of downtime in the last two weeks. Um, so while I was moving between jobs today and I wasn't driving, I actually looked on, like, Wikipedia the synopsis, or, like, the storyline, just to be like, I need to know what's happening. So it was interesting to have read beforehand what the supposed causes of death were for each member in the family tree, and then seeing how that was actually played out in the game. But yeah, it was it was interesting. It was very dark. Like, oh yeah, right from the very... right from the top. My partner yeah. watched me play it, and he said, "Is this a horror game?" Yeah, like, and ah. and like you said, the the house that you're going through, right? There's all these doors that have that are sealed, again, I finished it like 10 minutes before we were supposed to start recording, that it was Dawn, who is Edith's mother, who had sealed all of the doors, and Edie, the grandmother, had gone through in spite and drilled peepholes 
in all of oh, the braces. Oh, you are correct. You are absolutely correct. Dawn yeah, is so, the one that did. Yeah, so as you start going through the house and you're coming across all of these closed doors, and it's a very full house. It's full of symptoms of people living there, which is good characterization and good world building, and it does feel very lived in, but also very empty, right? Not in a way that's quite like mausoleum or church-esque, but approaching that kind of almost sanctimonious emptiness that is both eerie and homey. It's like an empty historic house museum. Yeah, because none of us would have any idea. Each room is like a monument to the person who lived in it. And it's got all their stuff like as it was and their little shrine. It's really cool. Yeah, the like tableau, walking around a tableau sort of thing. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. And I it reminded me of kind of the directorial style of things like Sucker Punch. Yeah, okay, I could definitely see that. And some of that kind of more surrealist, almost action slash drama slash tension based stuff in the way that it cut between the vignettes and back to the player character. Yeah, some interesting directorial choice and the use of music in very specific and limited ways with like the music box and and with the the brother who got lost in his imagination how one of the first things that he invented was musicians and then songs for them to play i am surprised you didn't touch on uh i think one of the best uses of music in this game is the death of gregory um and gregory is the the bathtub scene for oh the little the little oh yes yes i'm gonna get into that that audio was cut out so it must be copyrighted (gasps) good to know it is a symphony piece i can't remember do you you know which one it is i don't know for sure but my assumption with that sort of like bathtub thing would be blue danube but i might be wrong i can't remember you might actually be right because that does sound very familiar but it is very much in that like very well-known classical ballet scene let's go through the characters that you can play who die because you get to as you go through the their deaths you play as them in small vignettes that kind of ultimately kill them Mm -hmm. um and so the first one you play through is molly where you play as a small child who has poisoned herself by eating some berry like decorative berries that were in the bathroom and an entire tube of toothpaste Yeah. And an entire tube of toothpaste. Yeah, I believe it's the um, fluoride holly interaction that actually kills her. Yeah, it's it's the, the berries that she eats that is like ultimately what is yeah. her, her undoing, unfortunately. Following that, I believe after that is Calvin, which is the swinging you you go on a swing you're going to the moon. Oh, oh my yeah, god, that one he wants to fly. Me. That one was uncomfortable to very play. Sharp Why? fence. I was like, yeah, oh. the idea that he's impaled. Yeah, that he falls <laughs> and goes straight down instead of off. But no, he goes around and around and then flies off into the distance towards the uh, the original house that sunk in the bay. Well, this is going to be a topic we definitely touch on later, but it's the idea of like how they died versus how they would like to have probably been remembered. Mm. Yeah, right. It, they're never like Molly. quite clear cut. It's like this is the story. He he flew. the The swing went all the way around, and he he flew. But that's not. That's not yeah, what actually it's happened. not realistic. Yeah. To me, the presentation in the vignettes, which of course is something that is exclusive to us as the watcher slash players, not necessarily to the player character or to Edith or even to Edie, who has kept like the most records of these things. 
And so I think it's implied that what we are watching is the truest version of events as far as can be understood, because it is implied that it is a curse and that it is, it's mentioned several times that there is a monster, um, whether that monster is the perception of the curse or not, but the kind of ambiguity and complicated nature of the played out vignettes and how those play out speak to the ambiguity of sudden and horrific death, if that makes sense. I fully agree with that. I also think that in that fantasy, though, there is kind of a a consideration of who the person was in life. Yes. And they really kind of do this as a memorial to the person that has passed and what they would have wanted, which is a really interesting concept in framing death by what the person would have wanted to be seen as. Yeah. And as a type of characterization as well through uh, the vignettes of the end of their life. Next on the docket, Barbara, who is the comic book scene of the horror movie actress. This was the only one that actually got me like a little like horror movie scared. Like the way that you feel when you're watching a horror movie, like, oh, God, tension, because you have to play, play through. And it's like, is there a murder? What's going on? I don't know. And then the fridge. Oh, well, I actually read a really interesting theory and this was one of the questions, but I guess I'll I'll hike it up here now, that all of the deaths are in a way self-inflicted because of mm. their awareness to the curse. Yeah. Did you guys get that kind of feeling? Mm, I don't know about all, but some of them, it definitely seemed to play a part. Yeah. It is kind of postulated by Edith's journal as well that perhaps the curse is something that they've placed upon themselves. Uh, and that that is what is causing things to happen. It's got a little bit of a Stephen King thing to it, in which it doesn't. It never clarifies whether these supposed supernatural effects are supernatural if they're projected. If maybe there's a string of any sort of like mental illness in the family that is potentially a contributing factor that has gone unmanaged or attributed to a curse rather than to something that maybe would benefit from medical assistance. Yeah, it's it's very ambiguous, if anything, on purpose. And I actually quite yeah. like the ambiguity. I think it does a really good job at, like, keeping that fantasy versus reality, like, the surrealism of it all, really tangibly in check. I have more reason to suspend my disbelief, because I can never tell if it's fully fantasy or not. It's it's a game, and we we know it's a game. And therefore, we're able to believe a little more freely that okay this is fantastical and i know that and not necessarily would a child turn into a cat and then an owl and so on and so on but that's the the story but the shark rolling down the hill though (laughs) that was so funny the flopping shark the flopping shark rolling (laughs) down the hill it was a giant shark and she's way up this fucking cliffside as a shark that just falls out of the sky and you have to like bash roll your way down a hill into the ocean wriggle down the hill which is hysterical, and then you go to doing some serious shark-type chomping, and also a little bit of kind of cannibalism, which you can strike that off your Mortals bingo card, I guess. 2022 Mortals, done in uh, six months? <laughs> um, after Barbara's story is Walter's story, who is the brother who unfortunately witnessed Barbara's death, and as a result, locks is locked up in the house until he finally decides it's time to go experience the world again after 30 years of being 
a, a bunker under the house. So was he? Did he lock himself, or did he? He locked get himself locked in there after an earthquake. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because it, it's implied that he was dealing with aftershocks for a long time. Because he went in there in what sixty eight and didn't come out until two thousand five, I believe, is what was marked on the calendars. And he came out and was like, "What I wouldn't give for one new day." Something and then he gets happened. hit by a train. He immediately gets hit by a train because <laughs> the entrance hatch to the bunker comes up underneath a train line. Mm. That one is in the one in particular that I'm thinking that is self-inflicted because of his awareness of the curse. Because he, yes. he's like, there's this curse, I need to stay safe. I'm going to be in this bunker for 30 years. And then, oh man, I just need to get out. He comes out and it a does. train hits him. So that one is the most direct line to me for that way of thinking. Yeah. But Walter, if he had stayed oh. hiding from the curse in the bunker, he wouldn't have been hit by the train. So maybe he was on to something. We will never know because Walter is not only dead, he's not real. He's fictional. He is indeed fictional. <laughs> um, so Walter is followed up by Sam, who is, depending on how you play it, he's bucked off a cliff by a deer. Yes. mine. In mine, he got nudged off by the antlers. Yeah, and that's, it's, yeah. I think it depends on how you take the picture or not. But either way, whichever end of the deer you end up nearest, it kicks you off the cliff. Gotcha, yeah. I, I brought him to the, the antler side, so. I mean, I can't yeah. remember exactly. It's been a couple years since I've played this. But it is <sighs> Dawn, the mother, who shot the deer on a hunting trip that she didn't, she didn't want to shoot the deer. And he kind of coerced her into doing it. And when he went to go and take the trophy picture, the deer was not dead. I know, and she's like, like, oh, it's still twitching. And he's like, oh, that's normal. And then he gets fucking chucked off a cliff in the last photo in that stack of photos that you're looking through as kind of the portal to the vignette is Dawn trying to catch her father as he flies off this cliff. Uh, Wild. It's absolutely wild. I can see why she boarded up all the door. (laughs) And also was like, we're fucking leaving after two of her own children died. Yep. Uh, Well, mm. Died? Question mark. Maybe. We're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. One definitely dead. One so definitely dead. Um, Gregory is next. That's the baby drowning ballet sequence we've previously mentioned. Yeah. Who is one of Dawn's siblings. Siblings, yeah. So we're now into Dawn's generation. I probably should have done this generationally. I mean, in theory it is. I'm just not mentioning it. So Dawn's brother Gregory dies. Her parents divorce, her dad remarries to another woman, and at the wedding, her brother Gus, who is flying a kite and during a tornado warning, is swept up in this environmental accident. It's interesting because, again, I read the Wikipedia that gave uh, proposed causes of death, and the one that it claimed is that he was crushed by the totem pole that was next to him in that sequence um, due to the storm. Uh, it, but, the ultimate yeah. idea is that like the storm is what did him in and the sequence yeah. though is very specifically like you're flying a kite through a tornado and as you're doing so you're picking up all these things from this wedding and kind of crashing the wedding that you don't want to be a part of yeah um so gus and gregory are dead dawn goes on to have three kids of her own i really think this family just should stop procreating at this point and definitely not more than one Not more than one. Yeah, just have one kid and then the curse doesn't... I mean, the curse will affect the parent after the kid is born. 
I mean, it yeah. definitely, yeah, it definitely did. But she also like fled to India. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other. A I have all the other mentioned characters who've also passed away mm. in this list. So that's coming up in a sec. Because yeah, we got to talk about Cage's curse. Who you marry into this family for long enough, and you will die. I mean, doesn't everybody die? I mean, and that's the other thing, though, is, like, this is a death that tells you you're going to die with the, the fact that all humans will die eventually. Yeah. I was thinking about that as I was playing. I was like, well, I mean, sure, they're all dying in kind of weird and horrific ways, but everybody dies. I think it was more yeah. the untimely factor. Fair. And kind of the, the mysterious nature of a lot of the deaths, too, and a lot of children dying before their parents, which is not no. our not the ideal order of operations when it comes to a timely death. So Dawn's kids are Milton, who is a child who we do not know has died because, in particular, he goes missing. Yeah, that it was never I was confirmed. Like, hmm, sequel? <laughs> well, no, mm, actually... Magic um, is maybe real? So this is really interesting... In doing my research for this, the flip book that he creates, there is a king named Maurice, I want to say, or something along those lines. And Maurice, I'm getting that name wrong, is the character in this uh, developer's game that came before the What Remains of Edith Finch. So they have another game called The Unfinished Swan. And okay. in the flip book, one of the characters is the main character of that game. Ah. So those, the two games are connected, but it, this game actually came second and is making a backwards reference. Okay, I'll have to look into that game. Interesting. I know, I was really, I was like, oh, hello there. Because each room that you go into, there's some means by which you access this, this story. Like uh, notes written on divorce papers, stacks of photos, diaries. And the flip book that you mentioned for Milton... Rather than getting a full, like, video vignette like you've gone back in time, as with most of the other ones, which are very, like, through the eyes of the person who's about to die, the flip book is of Milton making this painting of, I guess, this king from this other yeah. game, and then getting a magic paintbrush from it with which he paints himself a door, steps through it, and is gone. Yeah, I think it which, was really interesting how, depending on which character you were in, how long the sequences were, because some mm -hmm. of them were very short and some of them were very long. Speaking yeah. of long ones, the other brother, I really enjoyed <laughs> playing that one. It was very long, though. I got really into it. Lewis is the final um, playable death that you get to go through and is... Arguably one of the longest scenes in the whole game, but it is, in my opinion, and this is another one of the, the future questions, the most impactful death of the game. And I think it's because you get to spend yeah. so much time with him. But he works at a fish factory and is going through mental health, health issues. They do not ever really specify which one. Some sort of disassociation disorder, um, because he creates an entire fantasy world in his head. And ultimately commits suicide in the factory, is from my understanding. The interpretation yeah. that the game gives you is that he dies in the factory by suicide. Yeah. Because he operates the, like, fish head chopping machine, and then the end of his sequence is him... Uh, Getting a crown. Kneeling down to receive a crown, and there is a guillotine... in a guillotine. ...above his head. Yeah, so it seemed like it was a moment of, like, I can only have this version of things if I finally do away with the shitty version 
Um, and it is noted as well that this brother has issues with substance abuse or has a history of issues with substance abuse. I can't remember. You might know this better than I do. Did they mention anything harder than marijuana as a substance, though? Because I know they that in his locker. They didn't mention any substances at all. They didn't mention, but there's a lot of marijuana paraphernalia there's a in mar- his room. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a mar- I know specifically that it was marijuana because there is, like, weed leaves in his locker at work, mm. I'm decently sure, like, on a poster. But yeah, there is some sort yeah. of substance abuse in that situation as well. But, so there are some character deaths you don't get to play through that are just kind of, like, exposited to you. Because we've got yeah. enough death. Um, and I'm just going <laughs> to blast through those really quick. Um, so, in the first generation prior to Edie, the, gra- the I guess, great-grandmother Great-grandmother, of yeah. your character is Odin, her father, who drowns at sea before they can come to America. Because he takes the whole family on a boat to bring them to America. The boat capsizes, and he dies with the boat. Also important, they brought their whole house, the, which yeah, tipped over the house. directly the house outside, is- where it was supposed to land, like, meters off the yeah. deck. Like, <laughs> Just, like, the genuinely, like, so close. And then Edie marries, or is married to Sven, who then takes up the mantle to rebuild the house and is crushed by a slide that he built for the house. A dragon-shaped slide, so she says he was killed by a dragon. Yeah, I I remember that it passed through my brain because it wasn't one that you got to play through, it was just mentioned, and I was yeah. like, oh, that'll be fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, unfortunately it is like not <laughs> mentioned. Um, then we move down to Dawn, who is the last surviving member of her generation that gives birth to... Edith. Edith, thank you, who dies from an unnamed disease... Her husband, Sanjay, because she actually, she fully moves out of the country to get away from the curse. She goes to India, meets her husband, Sanjay, who dies, I want to say, by by earthquake, because that seems like that was kind of the note they were trying to get at. But it's more generally speaking, by investigating environmental activity. Mm. Like, we never are exactly sure, but we know it has something to do with a natural accident within nature. Yeah. And then Edie, the grandmother, the great grandmother who's kind of like in charge of the house. Her death comes at 93. She's probably the oldest member of this curse that she gets to live the most. And Mm -hmm. her death, she dies just before she is physically removed from the house. They're going to put her in a nursing home. um, And it is said that she mixes booze with her medication. And now. It's left to interpretation whether she dies of old age or by direct result of her doing this, and whether or not that is considered suicide. Which, also interestingly, with Edie, her vignette is cut off by Dawn, who is forcibly removing Edith from the house to leave. Reading the the journal that's in the the closed and shut library. library. Yeah. Which yeah. we're told at the beginning... Is where everybody's buried? <laughs> is where every member of the Finch family is buried. Which I took to mean that the the truth of the matter was oh, somewhere in that yeah. library. I was going to say, because there's a cemetery that you visit. Yeah, there's there, the family cemetery was built before the house was started. Uh, because well, yeah, you got to put Odin somewhere. You got to put Odin somewhere. <laughs> I don't... I guess they didn't have a cold storage room for bodies... Uh, like they sometimes do if the ground is frozen. It was 1937. I guess that they didn't... They were like, well, I guess we'll build 
the hole in the ground first. It's uh, easier to than dig than to build. Though at the rate at which they were dying, maybe they should have had a cold storage house. Maybe. I mean. Um, and then we get to our titular character, Edith. Hey, by the way, major spoilers. If you hadn't thought there were spoilers before, I'm about to kill the main character of this game. Um, she dies during childbirth, passing all this information on to her child, her next of kin. Yeah. So that they can take the family history with them and move on. So when we said that you're playing as Edith, we lied. I don't think so, because you no, do actually- you're playing actually... as Chris the whole time. You're playing as her son the whole time. Really? you start off on the boat, right? With Edith's journal. Yeah. Yeah. But it's... when you look at the hands at the beginning and the end, they're different. It's implied that you're following your mother's journal throughout the entire- the entire sequence. And yeah, the hands change, but that's something- that's one of the only things of characterization that changes with the vignettes- that's true. So yeah. I guess this is all just one big vignette. It is. And the way that the text actually appears throughout is really interesting, too. Like, I was I was watching it and not playing it. But to me, it seemed much more like an interactive film or an interactive story than necessarily a video game. But again, that's because yeah. I was watching somebody else play through yeah, it. Yeah, you're watching someone else play it, which I guess then does kind of take away that element of choice. Even though in this game, I wouldn't say there is a lot of genuine choices you get to make you are yeah i would say this is an interactive experience yeah yeah you get to do things that's kind of like how i am dead was as well yeah which i guess if things have a predetermined end to them you can't change the outcome it's very linear so much so that you don't have any options but do you mind in a case like this no i think that the storytelling is above all what's important here rather than the gameplay. Oh, I felt the same way absolutely. about the other one, so Yeah. So finally we've we've gone through the the whole of the game at that point. Like that's yeah. everything that happens in the game. Um you are Chris at the end of it. Um and that is where the game ends. The game ends on the next generation. Weirdly a hopeful ending, but I guess it always kind of has to be, doesn't it? I don't know if people would be satisfied necessarily with a non-hopeful ending. The general public, I guess. I, to me, I didn't necessarily read it as hopeful. I kind of read it in the same kind of dual tonal dissonance as the feel of the house, in which it was both homey and eerie. Because you've just gone through this litany of deaths that have affected this family, and especially through this lens of this like surrealist sort of take on the last moments of all these people's lives, and then finding that out that you're now to the next last living finch, it feels like there's a momentum that is still moving because he has come back to this house to find out. And that I guess there is a moment of hope in that potentially with this journal and with the stories and exploring it, that there might be a way out through understanding, but also that it is a house and a curse and a set of situations that is resistant to understanding, as death often is. I will say, as I finished up the game, I felt like there were some threads left hanging that makes me think they're leaving it open to do a sequel at some point especially because we did not get to see in the old sunken house. I wanted to see in there so bad, which that was the disrupted vignette from Edie, the grandmother. And her, the sense of like time being cut short, I think for her was done, accomplished through that. Because like we said, she's 
93. Uh, she's, you know, being sent to a nursing home while Don and Edith flee the house. And even, because she had told Edith, I left a present for you in the hall, uh, can you go open it? And it turns out it was actually in the secret library, which Don didn't know she could get into. And it was a uh, history of the Finch family. And the note was like, there are so many stories to tell, but I only have time for one. And you don't even get through it. Whee! Excuse me, police? <laughs> or is that an ambulance? Look, it was I just don't know. celebrating the fact that you had so perfectly made that point. It's symbolic ambulance noises. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that sense of things being cut short. Because I was also, I was like, why does that house look like a fucking cathedral from what we've seen? It's tipped over. Like, I want to see what is in this old house. Is the root of the curse here? And it's buried underwater. And it's only through great calamity elsewhere in which the water is sucked out so far. Like it's going out for a tsunami. And she's able to actually get to it. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. And then... The memory ended. I was like, no. It did. Well, the, t- the thing, too, where she was like, I'm seeing things in here that I know shouldn't be here, but also feel very familiar. The first one was a buck, like the one that killed Sam, her son. There was also the, like, the rock face and the door. And I'm like, are these all almost post-premonition visages of what will ultimately kill her children? All I know is it intrigued me, and I wanted more, and I did not get it. Yeah, which I think is the staying See, power of it as well. I'm actually of a different camp than you both. I think that this was a complete story. Because it comes with the Finches arriving in the U.S., and it ends on the question of, like, the question of hope. Like, And this is something we talked about earlier in this episode. If you only ever have one kid in a generation, does that kid then get to survive? Until they Maybe have a kid. Well, Edie was the only one of her generation. She, the ironically, the person who said they did not have time had the most time in the family to tell their stories. But the fact that everyone fought so hard to keep that hidden is what un- ultimately undid everything. Yeah, no, I definitely think it was a complete story in that, in the way that it functioned, in the way that it's presented. And I think that that's the staying power of it as well, is that there are areas of ambiguity for you to think over. For people to theorize about, about on the yeah. internet over and over Indeed. or in a podcast that's just all about death <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, one thing i wanted to make sure to mention before we reach the end and i'll do this now is how about that setting though puget sound pnw yeah. pacific northwest <laughs> i saw some foxgloves in the game mariah yes the i did notice that immediately purple pink ones i was like oh man we just talked about foxgloves we did. I was like, interesting that this house in which everybody dies is surrounded by beautiful poisonous plants that grow in groups. Like, they grow in, like, a bunch of blossoms all together. Yeah, and the the, the totem pole that you mentioned in mm-hmm. the, the Gus, I think that was the yes. Gus um, Yes, that death, is the Gus one. I was like, oh, right, it, it brought me back to it because that's a, that's a PNW thing, so... It's very much a PNW thing, and I actually yeah. really appreciated that. There was these little, like hints and reminders of where you are in the world yeah good a good setting all around the environmental build on that in terms of effective environmental storytelling chef's kiss perfect Uh, yeah like that house said everything that needed to be said without like just by existing and also like the secret passages and the way that they were hidden in books and stuff was really interesting 
And I'm like, ha! I spent far more time than I should have reading this, the book titles on all the spines. <laughs> that It took me like five hours or so to play through the game because that's what I was doing. <laughs> I mean, why not? I'm sure the environmental artists super appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get why I won BAFTA Game of the Year. No yeah. question. And actually, speaking of environments, and I can see it on your shelf, Allie, uh, House of Leaves is kind of one of the vibes that it gave me. I haven't actually I haven't read, read it yet. Because it freaked me the fuck out the first time I tried to read it, and I had to put it down. I was too afraid to go back to it, but I would like to recommit to the effort at I'm some gonna point. Put it, I'm going to put it on the TBR. Anyways, but yeah, the house kind of had a House of Leaves feel to it without being quite so menacing. And for anyone who doesn't know anything about House of Leaves, it is one of the most terrifying book in English ever written. Um, and two... It's several layers deep about a house in which the interior is growing without the outside growing. It's full of, like, spatial incongruity, and the people who lived there were making a documentary about it, and then there was papers written about this documentary, and then you're, like, two narrators out who can't find any proof of this house, this documentary, or the initial documents, but have all this circumstantial stuff, and it's extremely terrifying. Again, I didn't make it very far, because the footnotes alone had me super spooked. Um, that sounds really good. I'm so excited to get into this book. This is right up my alley. Oh, no it's so pun intended. But it, it kind of with like the secret doors and then the like the braces with the peepholes cut in them and the the crazy howl structure upstairs and stuff. And then this like spooky house from which they pulled some of the stones to build the fireplace. Just constantly out there with a very great Gatsby-esque blinking light on a buoy that's marking it as like a hazard in the water just like always in view this completely collapsed house which I guess if you think of family trees as houses the Finch one is pretty collapsed I mean not unlike the family yeah exactly house and family both uh, maybe should have stayed in Norway <laughs> mm, I don't know about that I don't know about that. Also, I have a question. Just like, generally Why would you speaking, bring your whole house from all the way from Norway to the Puget Sound? How do you get your house from Norway to the Puget Sound? Magic. Big boat. No, but I mean, like, literally the, the, the pathway from one to the other. Because you cannot take the most succinct routes. You have to go, like, up and over Asia and through the Pacific Ocean, which makes no sense. They really loved that house. I was going to say, when Panama Canal was not a thing yet. Well, I mean, so Odin dies in 1937, which is when that house goes down. Let me double check my uh, Panama Canal stuff. <laughs> Time to do some research on the Panama Canal. Because the other option is going through the Arctic. Right. right? You just like, go up and neither over. of these things sound like they would be great ideas to take a house through. I The idea that it made it that far and collapsed that close to the bank where they were going to put it. It's cursed. Uh, apparently the Panama Canal was completed in 1914. So. Oh, okay, so maybe they so did go through the Panama. To... See, now what I'm very curious about is y'all's take on the curse. And what was the nature of that? If you have any initial thoughts, because I am I of have, two minds about it. I have a specific thought, but I'm going to let Janine go first, because like, this is something I've been ruminating on. I don't think there's a curse. I think it's just people die, and they happen to die in really tragic ways, and that's just how it is. Like, Edie lived for so long, and then, ooh, she eventually died. 
But she's like so yeah. far back in the tree, the the great grandmother Edie, so far back in the tree. But she's surviving. Sure, brothers, brothers and stuff died, but like people died so easily back then. Yeah, they're just a very unfortunate family, in my opinion. Very yeah, much so. I wouldn't say that the curse is self inflicted, but I think it's one of those things where awareness begets panic. Mm. Where it's like the more overly aware you are to this thing, the more it's likely to come and get you. So, like, one person is told, oh, we're cursed, it happens one time, and that onset generational trauma then creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm, yeah, it's I'm kind of of two minds of it, and the first is more in line with y'all are both saying is that there isn't really a curse, but, uh, like, a misconstruing, a misunderstanding, and a failure in pattern finding that leads to the belief in a curse. Because, like we were just saying... Moving a house all the way from Norway to fucking Puget Sound and having it fall off into the bay that close to the water seems like such a tremendously bad stroke of luck that it's hard not to try and attribute meaning to that, right? And that it killed the patriarch of the family as as well. So it's hard not to be presupposed to think that a then long string of tragedies aren't connected because humans are pattern seeking and so having this long string of bad things happening that don't seem like they should happen because aside from Edie everyone died in kind of unexpected circumstances which if every member of your family was getting killed in different ways you'd be like something's up because there's inconsistencies Um, And like I mentioned earlier, I think there's also a possibility of mental illness throughout the family that's not being managed. Not that mental illness leads to unexpected death in families, but that if it was something that was also situated within this priming of a family curse, and if if you're blaming it on a family curse, you may not, one, be looking for it in the same way that you might look for somebody on the edge of psychosis... Or needing medical help, just blame it on the curse. Yeah, that's a really great point about that, is blame it on the curse. That's, that's mean, what it is. There's no interrogation beyond, oh, we're cursed family, we're gonna die. I mean, there is some credence to that, and we get that mostly through Lewis's story, yeah. where it is kind of a look into his mental health and the yeah. unfortunate tragedy that surrounds, like, there is clearly some undiagnosed shit going on in this family. Yeah, like Walter sequestering himself for 30 years in a bunker out of fear of this, and then immediately getting killed the second he tries to take a step out of that also feels very symbolic of if it was a health thing, like trying to step out of the programming of being cursed to die kind of unexpectedly anywhere you go, but not naturally and not at the end of your natural life, um, that would fuck you up. And if you spend 30 years hiding from it, that, like, that's a long time to hide in a bunker eating canned peaches. Why the canned peaches? Like, every day, my guy. Don't ruin the peaches for me. But yeah, and I mean, I don't want to project anything re-mental illness onto this in a way that misrepresents what it's like to live with certain kinds of mental illness. But I think that there's also some comparisons that can be made to... Or not necessarily comparisons, but analogies. Not an- not analogies. I don't know what word I'm going through. But the way that priming and biases affect and put lenses on mental health issues that affect your perception of what is happening to you and in the world around you. 
as in there is a curse. Let me look for ways that other people's deaths in my family can be attributed to this curse. Yes. And then my other take on it is literal. There's some sort of monster that is killing this family in insidious and specific and very intimate ways that maybe lives in the old house, glaring at them through that little red buoy light, Great Gatsby style. I mean, that would be an incredible sequel game, though. It would. Well, the the sequence that we get with Molly, which is the first death that we get to walk through, her becoming a a monster that goes through and kills all the sailors on the boat. To me, was like that seems circular. Like those were the sailors on the boat that was pulling the house. See, but that's where I'm wondering if we're getting into pattern finding ourselves. Because entirely possible. Molly's whole thing is that she has an overactive imagination. She's that's yes. why she becomes a cat and an owl and a shark tumbling down a hill. I think <laughs> when you eat holly berries, though, they are a little bit hallucinogenic. So that was that my was also impression. my thought. Yeah, yeah. Is that so she I was hallucinating. And I think that with that creativity there was going to be something that was unreal in yeah. that because she is so young. Like, I believe she's, she only ends up being 10 years old when she dies. Yeah. And if she had this story of the house flipping in the water. I will say of all of them, that one to me was the most sad. Oh, yeah. that's a perfect segue into my, my, I guess my last question. Which story was the most impactful to you? Uh, yeah. So like I said, like Molly's seemed the most sad to me, and I, I will briefly talk about another one too, but Molly's being the first one that we sort of encounter and play through, she was sent to her room, ostensibly for climbing on the tree, which she wasn't supposed to be doing, uh, sent to her room without dinner, and is so, so hungry that she goes into her bathroom, it's around Christmas time, eats berries off the holly decoration on the bathroom window eats an entire tube of toothpaste and you can also play it so that she eats the food out of her gerbil's cage, which is in the same bowl as some gerbil feces. So like she's, she's just hungry and she eats things that she's not supposed to be eating and dies. So that's like really fucking sad. Like if you were a parent and that happened to your kid, you'd be like, what the fuck this, I call, I directly caused this. Oh, it's, this whole game is incredibly traumatic. If you look at it from a parent's point of view. Yeah. Uh, Gregory's death, the bathtub one, was also sad, but the other one I wanted to talk about was Lewis um, at the fish. <laughs> I, you I hit pattering. my top two. Those, okay, yeah, so, so Lewis's, which is the one, um, the uh, young man who works at the fish canning factory, chopping the heads off fish. I really had a great time uh, playing through and trying to play through the story at, well, at the same time chopping the fish heads. Uh, it required a lot of hand-eye coordination. I think that that mechanic is so incredibly done because you are literally playing through what he is absolutely doing in his mind. The disassociation mm-hmm. between like what I'm doing and what I'm thinking as you have to take both of your hands and actively do both of these things at the same time. Yeah, that was that was really incredible. I thought uh, that was a genius way to show how, what is actually happening to him in real time. And I was invested in both things at the same time. Like, I want to play through this story, but, oh, I still have to keep. And, like, well, like him, I was he wasn't so invested in the chopping, but I was more invested in the story. I was like, I need to keep chopping fish so I can keep playing this story. That was the thing. If you didn't play for long enough, the fish would pile up. 
Like if you didn't if you didn't chop enough fish, it would pile up they and hide the story. Things. So yeah. you had to chop the fish in order to be able to keep that fantasy, which was really smart and really sad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So those are those are my two like sad and impactful. It's really funny because the note that I have when I wrote this question was, "What was the most impactful story to you?" Caveat: If it's the Lewis story for everyone, what is the most second? What is the secondary story? <laughs> To which my two are actually Mario. You go first. Um, it's hard. Like my first answer is Edith. That's a that's a good one. That's just, a choice. Yeah, just because not necessarily her death specifically, but because you play through her journal and her trying to reconcile all of this while also coming to terms with the fact that she's a seventeen year old about to give birth and that she is she actively like Edie wants to be able to tell this story. And is cut off at the very moment where she could even conceive of doing that. I.e. the moment her child is born. And she's only 17. I love that um, Edith's name is a play off of Edie's. And yes, that their story is like Edith the timeline. when she's a child. Yeah, that their timelines uh, both have this idea of like, I don't have enough time to tell the story. And their names yes. mirror each other is chef's kiss again yeah giant sparrow did a great job making this game yeah the storytelling is phenomenal and i in terms of like the vignettes i think one of them that hit me the most was actually Edie. and part of that is just as i've gotten older wishing i knew more about all of the members of my family that i've lost and no longer having access to them or to that information and so there's a real life kind of tragic aspect of grief that that touches on the fact that despite her long life you never get to know her story and so that aspect of Edie trying to communicate that to her granddaughter and not getting the chance and that being cut off as well so I think wanting to share your story and not getting the chance talking on mine um I will argue this time and time again, Lewis, I think is the most impactful story of the game because mm. you get to spend the most time with him because you get a really deep dive into who he was as a person. And I think his death is probably one of the more relatable ones in terms of actual feasibility in like what you want from your life and what reality is and the mm -hmm. dissonance between that. And I, I guess it hits me really hard because right now I'm currently trying to find trying to get into the thing I really want to do and the barriers to that are really high. And so yeah. I guess that hits me a little bit more. But the other one that really killed me was Gregory. And the yeah. reason that Gregory hit me so hard is that it wasn't sad. It was a no. dance and it was joyful. And at the end, you have to know that a baby dies. Yeah. Yeah. It's and a it's vignette of a, of a baby drowning in a bathtub. Tub because its left. parents are fighting over the phone. I think that actually is a really good truism because a lot of these stories, like we were saying earlier, are fantastical retellings of moments of death, but they don't feel sad in the moment. Calvin gets his dream to fly. Milton becomes an artist. Gus gets to control a storm. They're stories that are celebratory in the moment, but mean so much more and have this heavy hand of death attached to them. Um, and I think that's actually really true about death itself is that it doesn't have to be sad. It's going to be for other people, 
but it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very interesting note that they play with a lot in this game where it's like, death is sad and death is inevitable, but it can be fun. Like Barbara's comic book is arguably silly and fun. And Gregory's bathtub, the beautiful ballet number of him playing with his toys, while inherently heartbreaking because this is the death of a ch- like an infant, is just a fun. It's joyful. Well, he doesn't know about the curse. Yeah. He doesn't know what death is. He's just having a good time. Yeah, well, it's overlaid, too, with the the note left on the divorce papers from Sam to the wife, Kay, going, I wonder what... Gregory was thinking because he was always almost an alarmingly happy baby. But also, do you not play as the frog in the tub that has to then hit the switch that turns the water back on? You do. And it's almost like we, the players, are the curse because she had drained the tub. I always wonder if it's like, because with that one, you know you're playing as the baby, kind of. You're playing as the toys. But are you playing with the toys or as the toys? And is it Mm. Gregory himself that knocks the frog into the faucet that turns it back on. Potentially. We'll I was just know. watching it going, oh no, player controls the frog and the frog has to jump on the thing. You have to do a baby murder. Like, as a player, just mechanically, like, to progress the story, you have to murder a baby. Yeah. Which, talk about confronting death, the baby might be having a great time imagining itself as this frog toy, but... But that's the thing, right? Like, it it's that dissonance between what is real, baby death, and the joy that in that moment, it's an incredibly joyful sequence. Like, I yeah. remember playing that and forgetting for a moment that I was going to be killing a baby. Because it's such, it's, you're playing with your toys in the bathtub. It's mm-hmm. effective. Effective and tragic. Effective and tragic, which I think says a lot about this game. Incredibly tragic, but the storytelling is incredibly effective. Yes. In getting us to not only learn what happened to the Finch family and what remains of Edith Finch, but um, tis, um, <laughs> but effective in creating the questions of like, when you die, how do you want to be remembered? How much of your family tree do you know? And how much do you want to know? How much do you need to know? And is there too much that you can be aware of that will do bad things for you? What a great game. <laughs> Incredible game. Again, highly recommend that you guys get this. It is such a joy to play and even though it's short it is not a long game maximum real like maximum you are terrible at video games i guess i could say four hours but like two really unless you're five. reading all the books i was spines. gonna say five if you're reading the book spines <laughs> five if you uh, four i would actually say four with the book spines in all honesty i might be un, uh, overestimating my time played with that thank you so much ali for coming and talking to us about this game and leading us through and also giving us a chance to take a bit of a breather on research. Yeah, it's been you know what? incredible. Thank you for having me. This has been an absolute joy. I love to yell about video games for hours on end. Ryan knows this about me very <laughs> well, especially yep. considering they helped me get into film school to write about video games. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. And mortals, go play a game. What about death, please? Mortals Podcast is created, hosted, and edited by three morbidly curious individuals, Christia, Mariah, and Janine. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Mortals, 
on Tumblr at Mortals Podcast and on Instagram at Mortals underscore podcast. Our music is A Mermaid's Eulogy by Etienne Roussel. Thanks for listening, mortals. Take care of yourselves out there. Give me a moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm like looking around at my books and being like, ah, I don't have many of my books. Here. This is going to be our Jeopardy music while they think of curses. And I'm just <laughs> going to be like, won't you take me to Cursey Town? <laughs>